Lord, we thank you. We thank you this afternoon, this evening as we're here, my God. As we sang, my God. As we worshipped in spirit and in truth, my God. You alone, my God, are our strength. You alone are our hope. You alone, you alone are God. You alone. Father, this evening we come, we may be a few in number, but one can put a thousand to flight. Two can put ten thousand to flight. And today we're more than two. And Father, I pray, cleanse this vessel as I stand here, my God. Unworthy, unrighteous, but we thank you for the blood. We thank you for the cross. We thank you, Father, that we can come one more time asking, Lord, to cleanse. Cleanse, my God. Cleanse our mind. Cleanse our heart. Prepare us to hear, my God. Lord, if you don't speak through me, how could I speak, my God? So, Father, I pray you speak through me. I pray that you touch every brother, every sister here, my God. I pray you increase while we decrease, my God. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, in this last hour, we need you. We need you now, my God. We need you today. We need you this minute. We need you now. Oh, Father, partake with us today, Father. Let your presence tarry here today, Father. Hear us today, Father. Hear us. Mercy upon us, Father. Mercy upon us, Father. We thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you have heard of Charles Swindoll? Have you all? Have you all? Yeah. You know, I always come up with my, because I speak from my heart. So, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll just like, if somebody can start and like read a page, and then I'll tell you to stop. So this way. As, as the Lord speaks, I'll speak to you all, okay? Hope beyond unfairness. Pressing on even though we know we are ripped off. How many of you sitting in this room today can say you had a bad deal in life? Many bad deals. Both hands. So let's, Rish, you'll start with the first page. You'll start reading. Uh, ever bought a lemon of a used car? Ever sent away for some marvelous uh, $16 gadget displayed on Infomical and ended up with about 85 cents worth of plastic? <laughs> Who hasn't been hoodwinked by a smooth-talking salesman with styled hair and patent leather shoes? Who hasn't been burned by a glitzy ad campaign that promises more than it delivers? Who hasn't at some point been taken advantage of or ripped off? Yet we recover relatively easily and quickly from rip-offs like those. What's really difficult to endure is the kind of abuse or victimization that gets personal. When someone slanders our reputations, pulls the economic rug out of from under us, or even threatens our lives, it's hard enough to deal with the consequences of our own missteps 
miscalculations and stupid mistakes. But it seems unbearable to suffer the consequences of something that wasn't our fault or that we didn't deserve. If you don't, if, if you've ever been treated like that, you're in a good biblical company. <laughs> David was ripped off by Saul. Esau was duped by Jacob. Joseph was mistreated by his brothers. And Job was victimized by the Sabians and the Chaldeans. David, as a young shepherd boy, killed Goliath and helped rout the Philistine army. After that, David became overwhelmingly popular among the people. He also became the object of King Saul's rage. David had done only good for Saul and his people. Therefore, the people appropriately sang their praises to David. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. First Samuel 18.7 That popular song sent Saul into such a revengeful rage against the young hero that for more than a decade, David ran for his life while Saul haunted and haunted him. Hunted and haunted him. David didn't deserve this, but it happened. Joseph didn't ask to be his father's favorite, but when Jacob showed favoritism to his youngest son, Joseph's brothers, in a moment of absolute hatred, sold him into slavery. Although Joseph triumphed over his circumstances, he was initially ripped off by his brothers. Earlier, Joseph's father Jacob had cheated his own brother Esau out of his birthright. Admittedly, Esau was rash and irresponsible, but Jacob took advantage of his brother in a vulnerable moment. And what about the good man Jacob? Uh, Job. sorry. According to the scriptures, he was blameless and upright and had taken unfair advantage of no one. But because Satan used him as a guinea pig, Job lost all his land, servants, possessions, and above all his ten children. While God ultimately used all these circumstances for the believer's good and his honor, Initially, all these men could have said, what is happening here? This is unfair. I don't deserve this. So while we may be in good company and misery does love good, does love company, company doesn't alleviate the pain of unfair treatment. Okay. You know, when I was reading this chapter, right, I was asking God, I said, first I know it speaks to me. So I said, okay, Lord, you're speaking to me. Then I said, you know, and I get phone calls and for prayer and people are struggling and then I get somebody calling me from one of our members of our church called me from work and said, Auntie, it's not fair. I just want to curse him out and I want to walk away. And I'm reading this chapter. Okay, I said, Lord, you're speaking. Okay, speak. So I'm like, okay. So then the first thing the Lord asked me was, Elsa, you've been treated unfairly, but were you, but did you also treat somebody unfairly? And I said, yes. So okay. But the Bible says we overcome evil with good. We don't overcome evil with evil. But there are times you want to retaliate so bad. If not for his grace and his comfort and his help to overcome daily, we would retaliate every day of our lives. We would be fighting every day for because we've been treated unfairly and unjust. But what I want to say was to this is when he when Shrikar was talking about God is saying, come back, you know, you're hurting. Whatever you've done, come back. And every day, every day, you know, pastor tells us so often, judge your heart. Repent. It's a daily process. It's a daily process. You have to. You know, I, I always share with my grace home kids. I say, you know, every day before I go to bed, I'm always afraid now he's going to come back tonight. So, Lord. So, I always examine my heart. I go through this whole day what I've done what I've said, my idle word, 
My, I may not have said something, but my body language was speak it all. So stuff like that. And you know, when, when you're married and you have a pastor who's a, who's your husband, but a pastor and you're sitting at the table with him and he says something and you don't agree and you just look, but you, you don't say a word. And he says, I can read right through that. So I was like, okay, you know, then you like catch yourself and you say, Has. like, you know, so you, you know that, you know, basically, Yes, you've been untreated, you know, and even when, like, we order stuff on, over the, you know, with the ads. I remember when Neville was a child, he wanted Ninja Turtles. I'm going back 27 years ago. And I ordered it, and it looked really good, and it was a sale, and it was only $1, like 99 cents. But they were charging me $5 to ship it. So I said, forget this, I'm not going to, I'm not going to order it, right? So I told the guy, I'm called, talking to the guy, and I'm saying, I'm not going to order this if I'm going to pay a dollar for the thing, and, and, Come on, $5 to ship, that's ridiculous. So he says, no ma'am, that's just to get you to buy it. So I fell for it, of course. Of course I fell for it. And of course I gave him my card number. And of course he told me it was only, eventually with taxes, with shipment, was $2. When I got it, they charged me $7. Was I mad? I wasn't saved then. Was I mad? I picked up the phone. I made sure I told him that I was going to sue the company. I was going to shut them down. I said everything. I called him every name but a child of God. And I didn't know God then. But I'm just saying it's like, you know, you know you get ripped off. But then again, now that we're Christians and we look at, we examine our hearts, how many times have we failed and yet we're so quick to get mad at somebody else? So quick to get upset. So quick. And my prayer these past few days, because I've been getting some real trying phone calls, is like, Lord, give me patience. Give me patience to endure. Give me endurance. Give me long-suffering. And when I talk to Pastor Shan, she always reminds me and tells me, Elsa, you were a knucklehead. You were not the nicest person in the world. That's why he saved. That's why he came to save you. So she always goes back and I like her. So why do you have to always say that? She says, because you need to be reminded every now and then. I'm your mother and I love you, but I need to remind you that you are a knucklehead. You were a knucklehead and you can be a knucklehead. It's like, okay, all right, I got it. I got the picture. So when we're reading this, I want you to like, let, let it minister to you because you'll realize and you'll understand. I mean, it's amazing what he, how he speaks. It's so much of, it's profound when we continue to read. So I let, Stephen, would you read? National, uh to unfair treatment. It's been my observation that when we're treated unfairly, we respond with three uh, common knee-jerk reactions. First, there is the aggregation pattern. Aggression pattern. We blame blame others. This reaction not only is focuses on the person who's ripped uh, uh, us off, and keeps a running tally of wrongs done against us. It also engineers ways to buy, to get back. This reaction says, I don't just get mad, <laughs> I even get, mm-hmm. I, I get even. In this process of aggression grows from simple anger all the way to the range. It starts with, with the seed of Resistment and ger- resentment, resentment and germinates into, into revenge. revenge. And in this process, nurtures a deep root of bitterness that tenaciously 
wraps around our hearts when or when allowed to grow to full size it leaves us determined to get back at every person who has done anything against us okay stop there for a minute is that true can we actually say that we examine our hearts don't we get mad like he says you know the knee jerk reactions and our aggression pattern we blame others don't we do that many a times if we really really check our hearts we do blame others we do we do get nasty about stuff okay steven continue it's like the fellow who has bitten by a dog was la- later told his physician yes indeed you do have rabies upon hearing this the patient immediately pulled out a pad of pencil and began to write thinking the man was making out his will the doctor said listen this doesn't doesn't mean you're gone to die there's a cure thinking the man for rabies i know that uh, said the man i am thinking list i'm making a list of people i'm going to bite <laughs> probably that a few who read this words uh, are making the list right now of people you're going you're going to bite the very next chance you get some of the some are already engaged <laughs> in doing just that the blame the blame game may temporarily satisfy any aggressive inner itch but it doesn't lead to lasting solution small wonder god wants us never take your own revenge vengeance 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 is mine i will repay says the lord stop there for a second you know i want to share something to you when you know when i was uh, ministering in the, in the hospital many 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 years ago in america new york and i remember there was a young lady very sad you know she was um, she was raped and she got hiv she was very angry and um, she said as soon as i come out of the hospital i'm going to give every man hiv because she was so angry and i said to her she said yes because i hate men and i will do this i will do this she happened to be somebody that we knew and anyway years and years went by and pastor sharon told me also do you remember so and so i said yes i do she said you know she died and she took 20 others with her who also had hiv and full blown and she said it was really it was really sad that you know this happened and she said but what's the sad part is that she never ever forgave and she died with unforgiveness in her heart and she died bitter with men bitter bitter with men so every time of course you know she had she led a horrible life after that but i'm just saying it was sad that it happened but i think god is teaching us these days in the last days that we need to forgive we need to let go we need to stop with the blame game we need to believe that god says vengeance is mine i will repay we need to believe that there will be there will come a time you may not always see your the people that have hurt you you may not always see god when you know 
you want them to have their share of their, what they did to you or whatever, whatever. You may not see it on this earth, but you know one thing, you can go home saying, I let go, I forgave, and I let God be God in my life because he said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Whether it was a good deal, whether it was a bad deal, whether it was a bad relationship, whether it was a friend, whether it was betrayal, whether it was whatever it was on the job, whatever, whatever. You have to remember that we must let go and let God be God. Richie, will you take the next? The, the next. Second, there's passive pattern. We feel sorry for ourselves. We throw a pity party, complaining to anyone who will lead, uh, lend a sympathetic ear. Life just isn't fair. We whine. But if we wallow in this slough of despondency too long, we become depressed and immobile, living in, living the balance of life with the shades drawn and doors locked. Like quicksand, feeling sorry for ourselves will suck us under. Though you may be holding back, there's a lot of anger in this passive pattern as well. Given to this temptation, and I can assure you, you'll not be vulnerable to anybody ever again. Reminds me of some fellows in the military who were stationed in Korea during the Korean War. While there, they hired a local boy to cook and clean for them. Being a bunch of jokesters, these guys took advantage of the boys um, seeming neatly. They, uh, they'd smear Vaseline on the stove handles so that when he turned the stove on in the morning, he'd get grease all over his finger. They put, they'd put little water buckets over the doors so that when he, uh, deluged, when he, uh, so that he'd get deluged when he opened the door. They'd even nail his shoes to the floor during the night. Day after day, the little fella took the burnt of their practical jokes without saying anything. No blame, no self-pity, no temper tantrums. Finally, the men felt guilty about what they were going, what they were doing. So they sat down with the young Korean and said, "Look, we know these pranks aren't funny anymore, and we are sorry. We are never going to take advantage of you again." It seemed too good to be true to the houseboy. No more sticky on the stuff, he said. No, no more water on door. No, no more nail shoes to the floor. Nope, never again. Okay, the boy said with a smile. No spit and soup. <laughs> Even in passive mode, you can spit in anybody, somebody's soup. <laughs> Third, there is the holding pattern. We postpone or deny our feelings. We might call this the Scarlett O'Hara syndrome. I'll think about it tomorrow. Every <laughs> boiling issue is left to simmer on the back burner over a low flame. On the surface, all seems calm. Doesn't bother me. But underneath, our feelings see it eating away at us like acid. This failure to deal with the problem forthrightly leads only to doubt and disillusionment and weakens the fiber of our lives. Furthermore, it's physically unhealthy to sustain feelings of resentment. You know, I, I'm going to say this. This reminds me, when, you know, when they picked on this cook, it reminded me when I was in school. I never liked nuns and I was in a convent. And I think I've told you all this before. And there was one nun that used to always be after me, and she'd always want, you know, she'd always call me the white girl or, the, or whatever, like all these crazy names. And I used to get so angry. So every day I'd go in. My father was dead when I was 10, so I'd go in, and I'd hate to see her face, you know. So I'd like, I really had this anger, underlying anger towards her. But I could never show it because, you know, in our days, you can't, you, wouldn't, you cannot even dare give an elder person a look. 
You can't even give them the eye. You can't even, you can't, you just look straight dead like you're a dumb blonde. That's all. You can't raise your eyebrows. You can't do anything. You're getting a whipping. So we couldn't do, we couldn't back answer. We couldn't talk back. Forget that. It was never. And my mother raised me that you would never, never dare talk. She said, always said to me, if you did it, I'd put a bar of soap in your mouth and you will never talk back again. So I used to be afraid of the bar of soap. I got it many times though. So, and I remember one day I said, I'm going to let this learn because you know, she had those white habits and I'm going to let her fall down these stairs. So what I did, I was in charge that day of filling buckets of water and we used to have this water game where you throw balls into the bucket and you know, it was called some bucket ball game. So I filled an extra bucket, but I decided to put soap in the bucket and I threw the soapy water down the steps. So when she came down, she slid, 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 and she went like a flying nun. And everybody laughed, okay? At that time, it was funny. But this late, this nun, till, till she died, had a back problem. When I got saved, the Lord told me, do you remember that incident? You know how God, when you get saved, brings all your sins, your past, and you start like, it's a video screen and you go like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I'm repenting, I'm repenting, I'm repenting, I'm re yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Finally, I come to this and I said, yes, Lord. He says, you will write her a letter. I said, my God, Lord, she must be dead. So I called up my mentor, Pastor Sharon, and I said, Ma, I got this. What do I do? She said, people, you have to obey. Write the letter. What am I going to say? I never, I never ever admitted that it was me. And she said, write the letter also. So I wrote the letter. And I, that's it. I, I felt like, you know, something lifted up, but there was something always bothering me. So when I did my first trip, when I came to Mumbai in 2007, I said, I'll go to my school, St. Joseph's Convent, and I'll go visit and, you know, of course, everybody was happy and da da da. I asked his sister Rosemary here, and they said, "Yes, she's bedridden. You know, forty something years ago, she had this fall, and it got worse, and it got worse. My God, I was horrified. All I could do was go and say, you know, I'm so sorry. I met her. She was shocked. It was me. I said, you recognize me? And she said, I don't recognize you, but I recognize the name. Then I started. You know, I said, let me just tell her who I am. And I said, she says, you know, and she's telling me, you know, how this happened. Now she's 90-something years old, okay? And she still remembers this incident. She says, there's one incident I'll always remember in my life, and that was the young girl who threw the bucket of water till today my back hurts. The Lord told me there would be consequences to my sin till I die. Because sin has consequences. And I always, always have back problems. Okay, to make a long story short, I asked her for forgiveness. I prayed with her. And she said, it was you? And then, of course, I told her, you know, I said, at that time, you know, I was really angry. I said, you know, I told her, I said, I, I can't make excuses. I can't blame anything. I knew better, even though I was 11 years old or 10, 11. I knew better, but I still did wrong. Would you please forgive me? And I kept crying, and I was very emotional about this. So, and she said, I forgive you. And she asked me, why did I do this? So I said, I became a Christian. And she said, what, tell me, what's the difference? We pray to Mother Mary, we pray to St. Jude, we pray, da, 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 da. I said, no, no, no. So I was witnessing to her. But the good side of it is, she got saved and she came to the Lord. And she asked me to forgive her. 
for calling me all the names that led, because she kind of provoked me, that led me to do, but it's no excuse, I was wrong. But she got saved, and about a few days later, she died. So I was like, I remember telling Pastor James, because at that time I only knew him as Pastor James, and I said, Pastor, this is what happened. He said, wow, restitution. I said, yeah, I, I, I actually sensed like, you know, there was, so then I asked the Lord, would you heal my back? So I, I had to have then, in, in about 2008, they told me I had um, to have, I, was a, I had a herniated disc and I had to have surgery. And I went to one of the surgeons here and um, he said, you have to have surgery. You'll have to have immediate surgery because, you know, I, I, my right leg used to go numb. Like I can't stand for very long till today. I mean, it bothers me. So I said, I said, um, I have to have surgery. He said, yes. So he said, you must have surgery. I said, oh my God, no, I don't want surgery. Anyway, subsequently I went to the, to New York, back to New York. And when I was in New York, I went to my chiropractor and he said, no, you don't need surgery. He said, you're not used to the, well, how do you travel? I said, oh, you know, I said, I don't know what to tell you, but these are, these are these three wheeler things. It's like, you know, it's called an auto rickshaw, blah, blah, blah. So he said, okay, what is, it? I said, it's very bumpy, but he says, yeah, that'll, that'll cause it. So he says, try avoiding to travel in those, you know, till it settled down and whatever. So I said, all right. So I said, I don't need so. He said, no. So I remember somebody gave me uh, the John Hagee healing CD in those years. And I listened to it and I claimed my healing. And yes, I was healed. But yes, the pain does come off and on. It does come off and on. And yes, I made restitution and I know God forgave me and I know. But sometimes, as Paul said, you carry, you know, I have to carry the thorn in my flesh, right? You carry something. And it's, I believe this is my thorn in my flesh that it keeps me humble. It keeps me praying. It keeps me, I want to say, I don't think I'm so fit at 57 that I can do this. I can do this marathon. Because you know what happens when you're an athlete and you get older? You think you can do all things. You can think, you really think you're superwoman. And then, it, when, when I actually sit down in bed and I'm like literally sitting down and I'm telling Pastor, I said, you know, I'm really exhausted. He said, slow down, slow down. But you know what? It's a subtle pride that comes in. It's a very subtle way that you think you're tougher and that you're strong in your health and you're strong in your body and your physical body. And it's a, it's a very subtle thing that comes in and hits you. And you have to really examine yourself and ask yourself, you know, Am I depending on God daily for my physical strength? Or because I, you know, I'll never fall sick. I don't get sick. I won't get a cold. I don't get this. I don't get, I, you know. It keeps me humble when it comes to my physical body. Because I do know I was very proud of the fact that I was fit. I was very proud of the fact that I could work 18 hours. I was very proud of the fact that nothing tired me out. I was extremely proud of stuff like that. It, it was a lot of pride there. But God had to like bring me down a peg or two and say, you know what? You will always have that thorn in your flesh. You will always have something that will keep you on that straight and narrow path that will tell you, you know what? You need me. You need my grace. You need my healing. You need me every second, every minute, every hour. You need me. Don't forget that. It's not your body. It's not what you can do. If you know. And then... Two days before we were leaving for Abu Dhabi, this was like, I got this giddy spell, I was dizzy, 
I couldn't get out of bed. I was so sick and I had no clue what it was. And the doctor came, pastor called the doctor home, home visit, Dr. Evelyn, and she said, sounds like you got high blood pressure. Oh, Lord, that was enough to tell me I'm going to die. I hate doctors. I hate hospitals. I I just I just don't want to be around them. And I was like, oh, my God. So I called Dr. David, and he says, Sister, you better stay and don't go to Abu Dhabi because, you know, it's bad. You've got your problems with your, you know, you're, you're, you're dizzy because you feel lightheaded. I called Sammy. Sammy had to buy the meds. I called Dipika and Hepsiba. They came home because pastor had to preach that day. I was like, I don't believe this is happening to me. So, okay, in my mind, I'm saying, okay, Lord, you're humbling me. So I asked the Lord. I said, you know, and I started praying. And as I'm praying, this is funny. I'm praying and I'm saying, Lord, I forgive everyone that has hurt me. And I'm crying and I'm weeping. And I'm saying, Lord, if you're going to take me home today, my God, I forgive everyone. I forgive everyone. I let go today. I let go. I let go. And I'm praying and I'm crying. And Pastor, I didn't even know Pastor walked into the room, right? And he's sitting across me and he's cracking up. (laughs) Cracking up. And I'm like, I looked at him. You're laughing at me. I'm crying out to the Lord. And I cried even more. And he was like, and then he starts cracking up even more. He said, you're coming to Abu Dhabi tomorrow. You're not dying. I said, you think you're Jesus. You're going to just come here and say like you resurrected me from the dead. And I'm like so angry with him. And I'm like, you're coming to Abu Dhabi. Enough of the drama. Please read your word, pray in tongues and go to sleep. I was like, okay, whatever. And I like, you know, I was so upset with him because I was like, how dare you? Not my God, I'm feeling sorry for myself. I'm going to die. He's not even concerned about me. And here he is. And I, I said, you know, and I, I'm sorry. I said, you know, people won't even believe you're a pastor at home. He said, I'm not. I'm your husband at home. <laughs> All right. Whatever. So, you know, it, it, these things happen. And it's like God has a way of humbling every one of us in different ways. We'll continue. You can pass it back to John. That's, that's, you know, we can, so we have to do, we have to go quickly. An alternative that honors God. Though there are all very common, don't expect to find any of these reactions in Peter's wonderful letter where he informs us how to have faith beyond unfairness. Expect instead of, instead an alternative reaction to unfair treatment. The command. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. First Peter chapter 2, 13 and 14. It's important to understand the historical context of this command. The Roman Empire, throughout which the readers of Peter's letter were scattered, was not only benevolent monar- monarchy, it was a dictatorship ruled by the insane demagogue Nero, who was especially notorious for his wickedness and his cruelty to Christians. Many of the believers who received Peter's letter had suffered persecution. The bodies of their friends and loved ones had bloodied the sand of the Roman Colosseum. Their corpses, soaked in oil, had lit that vast stadium. So it was altogether natural and fitting that Peter would address the subject of unfair treatment. These believers had been the target of the grossest kind of mistreatment by government, by their fellow citizens, and by their neighbors. Should these Christians pick up arms and resist a government with such a leader at its hem? No, said Peter. Incredibly, in the midst of all this, he had the audacity to say, Submit. God does not promote anarchy. anarchy. Jesus said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Matthew 22:21. And Paul exhorts us to pray 
for those who are in authority over us. See First Timothy chapter two verse one and two. Nowhere in Scripture is over it. Over, over it interaction against the government recommended. The believer was not put on earth to overthrow governments, was to establish in the human heart a kingdom not of this world. There may be instances, of course, when we must stand our ground, when we must stand firm and obey a law that is disobedient to the law of God. We are not buck, we are not to buckle under compromising. by compromising our convictions or renou- renouncing our faith. But those are the exceptions, not the normal rule. Whenever possible, we are not we are to render unto Caesar the coin of civil obedience, pray for those in authority, pay our taxes, obey the law of the land, and live honorably under the domain of earthly elected leaders. The way to live honorably, Peter says, is to submit. The Greek word is hupotasso, a military term that means to fall in rank under an authority. It's comprised of two words, tasso, meaning to appoint, order, or arrange, and hupo, meaning to place under or to subordinate. In this particular construction, it conveys the idea of subjecting oneself or placing oneself under another's authority. The recognition of existing authority coupled with the willingness to set aside one's own personal desires shows a deep dependency upon God. The submission to authority is not only in respect to God, the foremost human authority, but to lesser officials as well, such as kings and governors, as well as law officers and teachers. I'm convinced in my heart that if we were good students of submission, we would get along a lot better in life. But I am also convinced that this is the one thing more than any other that work, works against our very natures which argue, I don't want to submit. I don't want to give in. I won't let him have his way in this. And so we all, and so we live abrasively. Let's get something very clear here. Our problem is not understanding what submission means. Our problem is doing what it says. Because submission is so difficult, we need to look at the reason behind Peter's command. Let's read that one too because we are running out of time. So, The reason. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. First Peter chapter 2 verse 15. The Greek translated, the Greek word translated silence here means to close the mouth with a muzzle. You see, Christians in the first century were the targets of all kinds of slanderous rumors. There's a secret sect, people said. They are a secret sect, people said. Uh, they are people of another kingdom. They follow another God. They have plans to overthrow us. Throughout the Roman Empire, people gossiped about their secret meetings, their subversive ideologies, their loyalty to another kingdom, their plans to infiltrate, indoctrinate, and lead an insurrection. This kind of paranoia was common all the way to Nero. To muzzle these rumors, Peter encouraged submission to the powers that be. By submitting, Peter said, by doing right before God, they would muzzle the mouths of those passing around such rumors. Let's translate it into today's terms. We live in a city where the government is run by civil authorities. Our church building is located in that city. Now those civil authorities have no right to tell us what to preach, what to teach, or what philosophy to adopt as a church. If they attempt to do that, we have a right. In fact, it's a duty to rebel because there is a higher law than their law, the higher law relating to the declaration of truth. However, they do have the right to say, in this room we may put 150 people and no more. If you go beyond that, then you are violating the fire code and will be subject to a fine and possibly other penalties. It is neither right nor wise for us to break the civil law. It does not violate God's law and is in fact there for our protection. So we must submit to that law. In the church, I 
pastored in Fullerton, California, we had to abide by local laws, one of which started, stated that we could not use folding seats in the church in the worship auditorium. The seats had to be fixed to the floor. Also, the local the local law mandated a certain predetermined ratio between how many cars were parked in a parking lot by me- measuring measured against how many people could sit in an auditorium. Any church that constructed a worship center had to provide parking for X number of people in the working, worship, worship gathering. We agreed to cooperate with that. By submitting to that to the civil authority, we muzzled any rumors that we were we were just that we did just that we did as we pleased. Thank you. We would have gained nothing by rebelling against the civic authorities. In fact, we would have lost in many ways by doing so. How many of us can actually say, as young adults, as teenagers, that we have problems submitting? Y'all do. You know, I remember. When pastor used to talk about submission, submission, you know, many times I used to get upset about the fact that, you know, my God, he's constantly, you know, reiterating this submission, this submission. So I remember one day when I was praying and I asked God, I said, he said, I asked God, I said, why is it that I get irritated sometimes with the fact that, you know, he constantly, I constantly hear submit, 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 submit. And the Lord says, because you don't submit to me. If you submit to God, resist the devil and he shall flee by that. When you pray, you're submissive. When you, when you're, when you're in communion with God, you're being submissive. He says, once you start submitting to me and obeying the law, obeying my commandments, you won't have a hard time submitting because that love, the fact that you love me, then you won't have a problem loving and submitting to your husband. I didn't know that you know, I, I didn't know I could do it. I used to always say, I'll fail in that area because I was such an independent person. I said, I will fail in that area, Lord. And I used to always say that to myself, I'll fail, I'll fail. I could never do that. I said, and one day I, I, Pastor and I had a conversation. I said, what do you mean when you tell me I still haven't submitted to you? What do you mean? So he gave me an example about the curtains in the church. He says, I told you I am the pastor. You know I am the pastor. I don't. I keep telling you, Elsa, I'm the pastor. I make the call. It's my church. It's I'm in, I'm, these are my sheep and I'm answerable to God. So even when it comes to something as small as curtains to you because you're the housewife and you, you want to like, you know, do the curtains, your duty to come to me and say, honey, I bought some curtains, of, you know, the curtains were donated by X, Y, and Z. Can I put them up? Your duty is not to come and put curtains up and say, I wanted to surprise you. That's not submission. Because this is my church. God placed me here. I am the head. And I was like, okay. So I, I had a hard time even accepting that that was, I mean, but I'm your wife and and I blew the curtain. He says, you can do it at home, but not in my church. As something as small as that, okay? So I was like, okay. So I went back to God and I said, Lord, you know, do you think, Lord, I was wrong, I was right? You know, I was going back and forth, back and forth, trying to, like, you know, justify my actions. Because here am I thinking that, then he, God said, 
He doesn't interfere in your kitchen. That's your kitchen. You're the, you're the homemaker. You do what you do. He doesn't, like, you know, he may give you advice or whatever, but he doesn't go. He says, it's his church. And he wants the curtains a different color. So then the Lord said to me, literally I was asking God, I said, said, ask him what color did he want? Was it the color? He said, yes. I didn't want that color. I had in mind a color. And I had in mind that I was going to ask you to buy that color. So before I, you jumped the gun, you did it. And you tried to surprise me. But it's not what I wanted. So then I said, okay, but I think you're you're being proud. You're being, you know, you're, you're, it's like, you know. And he said, no, I'm not. Go back to God and ask him. You know, I now, because I have a tough time submitting, and I'm being honest with you, I'm standing here and telling you, I go to God about everything I do when it comes to the church. Because he is the head. When it comes to now, he's the head of LTD Ministries. He's the head of, he's the head of the household. He's the head of, boy, I said, Lord, do I ever get a say in anything? Do I ever get a say in anything? And he says, yes, you can from behind the scenes. You have to accept. You know, we do talk. No, I don't misunderstand what I'm saying now. He, he's, you know, he does. Give me my freedom to do some certain things, whatever. Like he told me, it's my birthday. You, you know, I hate surprises. Don't you dare surprise me. If they're planning something and they tell you, auntie, it's a surprise, you come to me and he says, honey, they're surprising you on Sunday. I said, okay. So I said, okay. You know, it's my church. Don't do anything. I said, okay. All right. I back off. So I had to go and tell him, listen, they're planning it and we're having a luncheon and it's, he says, okay. I'll go for it. So I said, all right. But there are so many things we think, especially young people. We all think that, why do I have to ask for permission, for instance, my parents' permission, if I want, if I have 100 rupees and it's given to me to spend, why do I have to ask permission to spend that 100 rupees? Why did they give it to me in the first place? They gave it to me to spend it. Yes, they did. But when you spend the hundred rupees and going and you go and you watch, um, you watch um, uh, mm, an X-rated movie or you go to the internet and you do something silly there, then what you're doing is you've disobeyed authority, you've been sneaky, you have actually taken advantage of your parents' hard on hundred rupees. Think about it. Think about it. I want you to think about it for a minute. I give John Manor 100 rupees and I say, John, this is for you to buy you a pair of socks. John decides that he's going to go to the internet and do what he has to do. But John knows it's wrong. He's not supposed to watch the movie. He's not supposed to go to the internet. He's not supposed to. He knows the rules because he knows what's going to upset him. He knows what's going to drift him away. He knows what's going to cause him to sin. So did he disobey authority? Yes, he did. How did he disobey of Because he knows he's not supposed to do X, Y, and Z, but he did it. But in his mind and his heart, but you gave me the 100 rupees. You didn't tell me what I have to do with it. Yes, I did. I told you to buy a pair of socks. Okay. I didn't need the socks, so I decided to buy something else. So I decided to go to the internet. I decided to do something. It's wrong. It's wrong. It is absolutely wrong. It is It is not, it, it is disobedience. It's total, because one, 
Then I'm going to think twice. Now, if I give this kid 100 rupees again tomorrow, he's going to go back to the internet. So what I'm doing is I'm, I'm enabling you with your weakness. I'm enabling you because you've already broken my trust. You've broken my trust. Now, you know better. I've already told you, you shouldn't go to the internet. You know, I mean, the idea is to give you that money. You've broken my trust. You've disobeyed me. You've gone, and, and you've gone to the internet cafe, and you're under 18, you're not even, you're, you're under, you're underage, you're not supposed to go in there. But you go and you fake your age, and you say, I'm eight. And it happens. You all know, you guys, you all know it's, that happens. I'm, I'm saying that, that, as something as simple as that is being disobedient. And what happens is, as a parent and as a guardian, you get upset because you always go back to yourself and you say, Lord, did I fail again? I'm trying to trust the kids. I'm trying to give them something. I'm trying to give them a the little bit of freedom, but they take it and they run with it. So do I get mad? Or do I counsel you? Or I just don't give you the 100 rupees? Because till you learn to submit. So I was asking God. I said, I want to go one day in my life without sinning, without an idle word without, I just want my thought life to be pure, holy, and I want to just submit. Submit to you, submit to my husband, submit, submit, submit. I just want to try this for 24 hours. And I did. I spoke maybe 20 words. People called me for prayer, I prayed and said bye. And I actually controlled everything that I did that day. And the night when I went to bed, I, 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 I saw a vision and I was like, wow, after a long time I've seen a vision. And I was like, the Lord says, when you're pure and holy and your thought life is pure, you're, you're, I can commune with you. I can talk to you. I can, I can help you come through the day when you constantly cleanse and cleanse and cleanse and actually say, I want to be that way. I just want to do this for 24 hours today. I just want to try without ever saying anything stupid, any idle word, anything, and it worked. I tried it the next day, it didn't work. And I said, why? Why couldn't I do it the next day? Because I thought I could do it the next day too, you know. I slipped. I slipped. Omar called me and triggered me, and of course, I was not very nice. And I said, Omar, you messed up my day. I was trying this and you messed it up. You made me mad. I'm not going to talk to you. Bye. And then I hung up. So, there again, see what happened? I blamed Omar, because he messed up my day. I allowed him to trigger me. I didn't accept response for my actions. I didn't tame my tongue. You know? So when you actually go back and you search your heart, there are so many things you can say that, you know what? We're so good, and he said, the blame game. We're so good. I wouldn't have done that, but. I wouldn't have done that, but. We do that. We do that. We do that a lot. But when you start really examining your heart and asking God to help you, I'm telling you, you know, now, I, I mean, like, sometimes I feel like a fool because I keep texting pastor and saying, can I do this? I feel like a five-year-old. Like, is it okay if I do this? Honey, can I? Uh, honey, is it okay? And he says, yes, it's okay. And he loves it. He sups it all up. So, so but the thing is that at the same time, I know I'm pleasing God. It's not so much pastor. It's about me. It's about Elsa want, having to submit to God. It's having to submit to authority. It's, it, there's so many things you learn from it. There's so many things you learn from it. And when you mess up, 
Don't blame somebody else. Just go to God and say, help me. I messed up. I, I just surrender. I messed up. It's so much easier. It lifts a burden off of you. It lifts a burden. And it, it lightens your heart. It really lightens your heart. You're, and you're, you, you can actually sense that lightness in you. You, can, you know, like the burden is gone. It's like, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. I can sleep. I can sleep. I can actually fall asleep and rest in him. You know, so it does. It does. Check your hearts constantly, young people. Check your hearts. Let's go to the principle. We're running out of time. My God, we got lots to do. Principle. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond sla- but use it as bond slaves to God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. First Peter chapter two, sixteen and seventeen. It's important that we keep the right perspective on the principle here. We do not submit because we necessarily agree. We do not submit because deep within we support all the rules, codes and regulations. At times it may seem petty and galling galling, galling terribly destructive and even prejudicial. We submit because it is the will of God and because we are all bond slaves of God. Now you see, the principle comes to the surface. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. Do not use or abuse grace so that your freedom becomes a cloak for evil. In little staccato bursts, Peter gives us several commands in verses 16 and 17. Act as free men, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And wrapped around the commands is that main principle. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. We must forever be aware of the temptation to abuse liberty. It's so easy to stretch it, so easy to make it work for ourselves rather than for the glory of God. Continue, continue. An example and the, and the example. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this, for this find favor, if for the sake of conscience towards God, a man bears up under, under sorrows and suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose. First Peter chapter 2, 18-21 To understand the full import of what Peter is saying, we must understand something of the nature of slavery in the time of the early church. William Barclay sheds some historical light on this. In the time of the early church, there were as many as 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. It was by no means only menial tasks which were performed by slaves. Doctors, teachers, musicians, actors, secretaries, stewards were slaves. In fact, all the work of Rome was done by slaves. Roman attitude was this, was that there was no point in being master of the world and doing one's own work. Let the slaves do that and let the citizens live in pampered idleness. The supply of slaves would never run out. Continue, continue. Slaves were not allowed to marry, but they co- co- cohabited. And the, and the children born of such a partnership were the property of the master, not of the parents. Just as the lambs born to the sheep belong to the owner of the flock and not to the sheep. It would be wrong to think that the lost lot of slaves was always wretched and unhappy and that they were always treated with cruelty. Many slaves were loved and trusted members of the family. But one great inescapable fact dominated the whole situation. In Rome in Roman law a slave was not a person but a thing, and he had absolutely no regal rights whatsoever. For that reason there could be no such thing as justice where a slave was concerned. Peter Chrysologus sums the matter up. Whatever a master does to a slave, 
undeservedly, in anger, willingly, unwillingly, in forgetfulness, after careful thought, knowingly, unknowingly, is judgment, justice, and law. In regard to a slave, his master's will and even his master's caprice was the only law. That was the reality of the first century world when Peter addressed slaves and told them to be submissive to their masters. It would have been easy for slaves who became Christians to think that their Christianity gave them the freedom to break with their masters. Peter, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, stated that, stated that this was not so. Centuries later, Christianity pervaded the culture and became culture and overcome, overcome slavery. But it didn't happen in the first century. This is a good lesson for us regarding God's timing versus our timing, even when it comes to ad- adversity. While He certainly commands us to be salt and light and thus bring about justice and change in our culture, His ultimate priority is changing the individual human heart. It's difficult for us in America to read some of these verses. Our frame of reference is so different, so Western, so 20th century, that we sometimes try to rewrite God's word to make it fit us. We can't do that. We must let it speak for itself. Well, that's great if you have a good master, you say. It's wonderful if you're a slave of St. Francis of America or Mother Teresa of your community. If you're working for some marvelous saint-like boss, everything is cool. You're happy to submit. But what if your taskmaster fits the description in the last part of the verse? What if you work for those who are unreasonable? Do you have an uncaring boss? Do you have a superior or manager who isn't fair? Do you have to deal with unreasonable people? You may not want to hear this today, but there is a lot of truth for you in verse 18 and 19, none of which will ever appear in your local newspaper or on a television talk show. The natural tendency of the human heart is to fight back against unfair and unreasonable treatment. But Peter's point is is that seeking revenge for unjust suffering can be a sign of self-appointed lordship over one's own affairs. Revenge, then, is totally inappropriate for one who has submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Christians must stand in contrast to those around them. This includes a difference in attitude and a difference in focus. Our attitude should be submissive and our focus should be toward God. And how is this change, how is this change viewed by God? It finds favor with Him. Our focus then should not be consumed with getting the raise at the office, but with getting the praise from God. Not with getting the glory for ourselves, but with giving giving the glory to Him. Continue because we gotta go. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if you do what is right and suffer for it patiently, if you for it, you patiently endure it. Thus, this finds favor with God. First Peter two twenty. The contrast is eloquent. There is no credit due to due a person who suffers for what he has coming to him. If you break into a house and steal, you will be arrested and you could be incarcerated. And if you impatient patiently endure your jail sentence, no one is going no one is going to think that you are wonderful for being such a patient and good prisoner. You you won't get elected citizen of the year. <laughs> but you if you are a hardworking, faithful employee, diligent, honest, Productive, prompt, caring, working for a boss who is belligerent, stubborn, short-sighted, and ungrateful, and if you patiently endure that situation, aha, that finds favor with God. I told you this wasn't information generally embraced by the public. Actually, another meaning for the word translated favor is grace. So when you endure, you put grace on display. And when you put grace on display for the glory of God, you could revolutionize your workplace or any other situation. Can you see why the Christian philosophy is absolutely radical and revolutionary? We don't work for the credit or the prestige or the salary of the, or the perks. We work for the glory of God 
in whatever we do. The purpose of this of, of the believer in society is to bring glory and honor to the name of Christ, not to be treated well or to have life be easy or even to be happy, as wonderful as all those things are. Again, this is not promoted in today's workplace. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. First Peter 2.21 You are called for this purpose. That's the reason you are in that company. That's the reason you're filling that role. That's the reason these things are happening to you. Why? So that you might follow in the steps of our Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered for us. I deliberately left Christ off the list of biblical examples at the beginning of the chapter because I wanted to mention him here. No one was ever more ripped off than our Savior. Absolutely no one. Jesus of Nazareth was the only perfect man who ever lived, yet he suffered continually during his brief life on this planet. He was misunderstood, maligned, hated, arrested, and tortured. Finally, they crucified him. And Peter says we are to walk in the steps of Jesus. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return, while suffering, he uttered no threat, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the, cro- on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you are healed. First Peter chapter 2, 21-24 If these verses, in these verses, Peter shifts from an example of unfair treatment to the, to the example we should follow, from that of a servant to that of, a save, of the Savior. John Henry John Henry Howitt writes of Jesus, Jesus' perfection. The fine sensitive membrane of the soul had in no wise been scorched by the fire of iniquity. No sin. He was perfectly pure and healthy. No power had been blasted by the lightning of passion. No nerve had been atrophied by the wasting blight of criminal neglect. The entire surface of his life was as finely sensitive as the fair, healthy skin of a little child. There was no duplicity. There were no secret folds or convolutions in his life concealing ulterior motives. There was nothing underhand. His life lay exposed in perfect truthfulness and candor. The real inner meaning of his life was presented upon a plain surface of undisturbed simplicity. No sin, nothing blunted or benumbed, no guile, therefore nothing hardened by the effrontery of deceit. Thus the sinless Christ. But still they mocked him and bruised him and beat him and crucified him. When Peter talks, tells us, tells us he is our example, that's saying something. Consider his focus. He kept trusting himself to him who judges righteously. That's a good thing to do throughout your day. Lord, this is a hard moment for me. I have a, I'm having a tough time today. Here I am, again, dealing with, the, with this unreasonable person, this person who is treating me unfairly. Lord, help me. I entrust myself to you. I give you my struggle. Protect me. Provide the wisdom and self-control I need. Help me to do the right thing. We must understand that the purpose of Jesus' suffering was different from ours. I know there comes a point where subjection to certain situations can become absolutely unwise and unhealthy. No argument there. But most of us don't get anywhere near that. We are so quick to defend ourselves. We are a fight-back generation. We know our lawyers' phone numbers better than we know verses of scripture on self-restraint. Quick to get mad. Quick to fight back. Quick to answer back. Quick to threaten a lawsuit. Don't you dare step across that line. I've got my rights. 
When was the last time you deliberately for the glory of Christ took it on the chin, turned the other cheek, kept your mouth shut and gave him all the glory? A benefit that accompanies such obedience. For you were con- continuously straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. First Peter 2.25 Staring in horror at the cross, one can't help but become deceived from a swarm of questions. Why? Why should this innocent man endure such unjust suffering? Why should we? Why shouldn't we resist the thorns and the lash we are forced to bear? Why should we submit to the hammer blows, to the piercing nails, to the cross of unjust suffering? Because it causes us to return to our Savior for protection rather than defending ourselves or fighting for our rights. That kind of reaction has become so much part, so much a part of our lifestyle and culture that we don't even realize it when we react, react, react that way. We don't even recognize that we should be different from those around us. By the way, see the words. By his wounds you are healed. Talk about vivid. Peter had be, had seen firsthand the yoke of unjust suffering placed on Jesus' shoulders. No doubt he was remembering. He could see it as as clearly as though. Oh, we missed that one. It, okay. I think you missed out that one. Are you feeling the splinters of some cross of unjust suffering? Has a friend betrayed you? Has an employer impaled you? Has a disaster drop on your life that's most that's almost too great to bear? If so, don't fight back. Unjust suffering can be a dizzying experience. To keep your balance in those times when things are swirling around you, it's important to find a fixed reference point and focus on it. Return to the protection and guardianship of the Good Shepherd who endured the cross and laid down his life for you. It was because David refused to take vengeance on King Saul that we remember his story to this day. It was because Joseph was so willing to forgive his brothers that we admire him to this day. And it was because Job did not waver in his faith in spite of all those unfair calamities that we are impressed to this day. If you just as soon as we've forgotten because you lived lived consumed with blame and self-pity, keep fighting back, get even, stay angry. But if you hope to be remembered, admired and rewarded, press on even though you've been ripped off. That is good. You know, I know we go through trying times. I know we're tried in school. I know we're tried in college. I know we're tried in ministry. I know we're tried at work. I know, I know, I know. And, uh, you know, I want to say this, that there were there were times when, you know, I'm sure you many of you can relay that, you know, you, you at work you thought things were unfair, things were not right. And, but as a Christian, we have to learn, even even as young adults here like Richie and John and Mahinder and Naresh and Tarun and Mary and Jyoti and Deepika, you know, you all are the youngest in the group here, and Stephen. thing is that, you're going to be challenged. And like Pastor always says, he doesn't understand your peer pressure because we never had that kind of peer pressure. We had peer pressure was like, who could run the fastest? Who could jump more hurdles? Who could play basketball well? That was our peer pressure. It was competition when we were growing up. And the thing is that because you have God in your life and because you know the Lord, like he said, just go to God and say, I'm having a hard day. This guy is getting on my nerves today, and I can't take it no more. Sister Mary, Sister Thelma, Peter, Sammy, whatever. 
it's not fair. They're getting on my nerves and they don't understand me. But you know what? When you actually go to God with your heart and you say, and you cry out to him, I can guarantee you God will calm you down. And I can guarantee you, you, there's some, some word of scripture will come. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I will not sin against thee, said David. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're no scripture. Apply it. Like he says, we know the lawyer's phone number in America. You know, we, oh, that was a joke. You know the lawyer's phone number. You know everybody's number, but you don't even know scripture. You can't even tell me where, where I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in the Bible. What's the address of the Bible? You, you can't even tell me where that is in the Bible. But you know the lawyer's phone number. Because you know, because in your heart, we, we, the flesh is so strong. And I'm going to tell you this. I tell, told you this the last time. As you get older, the flesh gets stronger. If you don't kill the flesh now and practice to kill it, it is very difficult to kill it when you're older. You have to learn to submit. You have to learn to call on God at any time, any place, anywhere. You have to learn to tame your tongue. You have to learn to be slow to speak, quick to listen. You just have to learn it. We are living in a perverse, wicked, nasty generation where your peer pressure is worse than we ever had in school. I, I guarantee you that. You have to learn. Even at workplaces and IT companies, it is a wicked generation. Satan is out to steal, kill, and destroy. There is no doubt about it. There is no doubt about it. You have to learn to call on God. You must practice this. It has to be like you're doing your tables. Two twos are four, four twos are six, four, whatever. You're, you're doing it like that. You're, you're doing your, di- your times table. And you say, you know what? I can do all things to Christ. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I will be slow to speak, quick to listen. I will, I will, I will, I will love those that hate me. I will bless my enemies. I will, I will. You have to learn now. You have, because you all know a lot more than we ever knew. Than we ever knew. You all know so much more. And, and you all are so well informed with everything. My goodness me. But if you don't practice now, you'll have a tough time. When you get older, you'll have a tough time, I'm telling you. I got saved at 37. And it took me years. It took me coming to India to marry Pastor James to submit. I'm being honest. I'm being honest. It took me learning. It's very difficult. The flesh gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Because that's the way the enemy, you know, that's the way he operates. He's subtle. He's, and he'll tell you that nothing wrong with that. So what? Like, you know, he kept telling me, Nothing wrong with you, what you did with the curtains. There's nothing wrong. I mean, so what? You, you know, you're his wife, so what? But you can get that. You can get these crazy voices talking to you. You can get the enemy will come to put all this kind of negative thoughts in your minds and your hearts. But if you don't, I always tell you, put on the armor when you go to bed so you don't have crazy dreams. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. Read it. Put it on. You should know it by heart. The helmet of salvation, the blessed of righteousness, girdle my loins with the truth. My feet shot in the right direction. Sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, pray without sin. You all learn that, Grace Home. You all learn that when you were, like, seven years ago. Put it on. Put it on. And believe you're putting it on. Believe that nothing, those negative thoughts won't attack you constantly, day in, day out, day in, day out. Believe that you can overcome temptation. Resist the devil and he shall flee from you. Believe, believe, believe. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm being honest with you guys. It's not easy. And it's going to get worse. Temptation is going to get worse. You're going to, and, and you know what? As you'll get older, you get more sneaky. Because you can do it. You're told not to do it, so you want to do it. You're told don't do that, you want to do it. 
You will. That's the way the enemy works. That's the way you're told. And it's not that we tell you not to do it because we want to hurt you guys or we want to make your lives miserable or kill your joy or something. No, it's not true. It's not true. You have to learn to stay on that straight and narrow path. You will. We will fall. We, if you stumble and fall, the Lord will uphold you. He'll walk you through with his right hand. That's what the word says. And then for the ones that are the single men and women who are older, I say my 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 thing to you is, get a prayer partner. We used to have it before. Pray with somebody. Pray with another sister or another brother. Call somebody up and pray. You don't have to share your personal stuff, but you can just pray your way through every day when you're struggling. Pray your way through. Pray your way through. Prayer is a weapon. Prayer changes things. And you know, all I say today is, if you haven't forgiven somebody that has hurt you, that's offended you or your boss, or whatever it is, whoever it is, and you have an issue at work, whatever it is, and, and, and it's, it's an ego thing with men, you know, and it's a rejection thing more with women. So, you know, like, ask God, say, Lord, you know, help me with this rejection. Help me, help me. And like we heard, he was, look at the way he was blamed, spat on, abused, cursed, for, for us, for a sinner like us. And, you know, my prayer to you all, and my, my, my advice to you, pray without ceasing. It helps you go through the day. Pray constantly. When I'm in the car and I'm going from point A to point B, I'm praying in tongues. If I don't know what to pray, I'm praying in tongues. I'm praying constantly. It's like you have to learn to pray. Even when you're at work, even for a second, if when you when you're doing something and and you cannot solve the problem or you know you're bogged down with ten people asking you the same thing and you have a target to meet and all, just go for a second and say, Lord, I hand this over to you and believe that when you hand it over, you hand it over that He's going to help you through it. He'll give you the grace and His mercy and his, He will give it to you. He will. He will. He will. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, I am with you. I am with you. He will give it to you if you just practice to call on Him all the time. Even, and you don't have to say it loud. You can just say, you know, Lord, I need it. I need you now. You know, we were at a CWC meeting two weeks ago. And this lady, the chairperson, was yelling, screaming, nasty, absolutely obnoxious to us. And I just sat there. And I said, God, you got jokes. You know, I said, you got jokes. In my mind, I'm saying, I am doing you a favor. By taking on these kids who are in the government, who you all abuse. And immediately I got convicted and said, pride. Pride. And I was like, okay, Lord. So then I started praying in tongues. I said, I better not, like, let, Lord, let my thoughts be pure. Let me not be mad at this woman. Let me just give me those thoughts that are pure, holy. Holy thoughts, Lord. And I just started quietly, I was praying this bit. And then another lady that knows me came and said, Madam, it's okay. Because she's screaming, that means she likes you. I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. I was like, but you know, your flesh wants to scream. Because you know, you're, you're like, what the heck did I do to you? I mean, I didn't do nothing to you. And you know, automatically it goes to those thoughts. But God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And if you believe that, he's, that his presence has already gone before and straightened crooked paths, then believe it. Then believe it. We have unbelief. We have doubt. 
And that's why things don't come to pass the way we expect it to. Because God will intervene. He will intervene. He said, you're my child. I will intervene. But we have to believe. Amen? Amen. Let's read this prayer together. A prayer for hope beyond unfairness. Let's read it all together. Dear Lord, find within us a yielded and quiet spirit of submission. To make that happen, we need you to come in like a flood. Occupy us as water finding empty spaces. Occupy reserved portions of our lives where anger is festering and the secret places where grudges are being stored. Sweep through our houses. Don't miss one room or a single area. Cleanse every dark closet. Look under every rug. Let nothing go unnoticed as you take full control of our motives as well as our actions. Deep within our hearts we pray that you could you would sweep us clean of blame and revenge, of self-pity and keeping score. Enable each one of us to be big enough to press on regardless of what unfair treatment we've had to endure. Take away the scars of ugly treatment and harsh words. Forgiveness comes hard, but it's essential. Help us forgive, in, forgive even those who never acknowledge their wrong and hurting us. Give us peace in place of turmoil and erase the memories that keep us offended. We need fresh hope to go on. I ask this in the name of him who had no sin and did no wrong, but died, the just for the unjust, Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.